0: twice a week 4 one and words twice a week on Thursday or Friday is a series of introductory thoughts on the scripture lesson for Sunday. They're presented as a bulleted list and I use this sound to represent bullet point in each new thought. Uh, the scripture lessons for we'll be looking at for this Sunday are Isaiah 25 6 to 9, Psalm 118 verses 1 to 2, 14 to 24 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 11, John 20, 1 to 18, Mark 16, 1 to 8. It probably works best if you've had a chance to look them over before or at least have them at hand uh, to skim as we go along. Okay, so there are a ton of lessons that you might end up with encountering this weekend. From Monday Thursday to Good Friday to Easter Vigil to Easter morning to Easter evening, we're going to mainly look at some of the ones from Easter morning, although just a note that I always wanted to have a service for Easter evening focused by the Emmaus Road lesson. Could be fun to let everyone break the bread and see what happens, kind of like Cinderella and the glass slipper. Some thoughts on some of the lessons for Sunday, Isaiah 25, 6 to 9. This is a little bit of eschatology, words about the future times on that day. These are things the community is waiting for and expecting or hoping will happen. But it's not just that they will be rescued from this or that danger. This is about a radical transformation of the human situation. In our day and age, does anything else seem sufficient? A reminder that Easter is still more about tomorrow than today. Isaiah envisions two things. One, a feast for all peoples. So what is on your Easter table and how is it or is it not a feast for all people? Could all people eat it? Is the producing and preparing of it good for all people? Where's the balance between having a feast and having it be something good for all people. And two, then God will destroy death. Okay, that sounds good, but then everything that lives dies sooner or later. Does God destroy the shroud by somehow making death okay? How would that work for you? The mountain, where we encounter God, where has that been in your life? The church, the forest, the coffee shop, the concert hall? Psalm 118, verses 1 to 2 and 14 to 24. So at both ends of Holy Week, we get some of the same verses of Psalm 118 and some different ones. The overlap is verses 19 to 24. Last week, we also had verses 25 to 29. This week, we have 14 to 18. We recall from last week that the main part of this is kind of a play-by-play of a king coming victorious to the temple. The verses added this week are about glad songs of victory because of the right hand of the Lord, three times in verses 15 and 16, and then about how death was imminent but didn't happen. The verses that are left off this Sunday have to do with asking God to save us and a description of the king approaching the altar. So if we're primarily hearing this about Jesus, would we lop off the verses about the king approaching the altar because there isn't any literal king, there isn't any literal procession? There is the reality that death did not have the last word, that God has not given me over to death. doesn't mean that Jesus didn't die, but that life, love, was the last word. There was a line way back in the email-a-day era about God not letting death destroy what God made and loves, something like that. Between Friday and Sunday, Jesus, his work, his vision, his love, is being undone by death, but God will not let that stand. Back to verses 17, 18, 19, I shall not die, the Lord has chastened me, Open to me the gates of righteousness. Who is this? Jesus, but maybe more than Jesus. Those who have been saved along with Jesus by the right hand of God. You and me? Maybe, but not because we are so special or good. Rather, because of what God has done. Last Sunday, we noted an ominous tone in the stone the builders rejected. Do we still hear that this Sunday? How first corinthians fifteen one to eleven, what Paul proclaimed was one good news, a saving word, and two was what he had received, not what he thought up by himself. How much of our faith is received and received, how and from whom? What do we figure out for ourselves? What do we make up? Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, was buried confirming that death, was raised in accordance with the Scriptures, and appeared to a whole list confirming the resurrection. Note the extensive list of appearances, but Paul does not mention the women. Did he not know the Easter story, or did he just not feel their witness would make a difference, or did he just forget about them? Reading on in the chapter, we discover some at Corinth are denying a general resurrection. Paul sees the resurrection of Jesus as the start of a general resurrection, a start of God's overthrow of evil. Paul says, I am what I am by grace. I've done what I've done by my hard work, though, of course, it was God working through me. Well, then we have our choice of the Easter morning story from Mark or from John. They're different. First Mark, Mark 16, 1 to 8. And first, does this sound like an end? And if it is, what is Mark trying to say? If it isn't, what more might he have said that somehow got lost, like verses 9 to 20? I come down on the side that verse 8 is the end. Let's keep this in mind as we go through. Mary and Mary and Salome go to the tomb on the first day of the week when the sun had risen They worry about the stone, giving it a place in the story, but it has been rolled away. There's a young man in the tomb. Did he roll the stone away? Sitting on the right side. What's that about? Is it somehow supposed to connect with the right hand of God or sitting on the right hand of God? Tell the disciples Jesus is going ahead to Galilee. What will happen there? Ascension? New commission? Question marks? What is Galilee for you? And are you headed that way or pulling a Jonah? He explains to the women, but they don't understand. They run away afraid, say nothing to anyone. So Mark 16 completes the strange conclusion of this gospel, where it's the soldier confesses faith, the disciples flee, the women observe from a distance, The burial is handed by Joseph of Arimathea. The young man notes that the humans placed Jesus' body, but God raised it. Humans can only do so much and ultimately hmm, fail, but God picks up where failure leaves off. So is verse one to eight the beginning or an ending. On the one hand, there is grace, hope, words of a new beginning. On the other hand, the women are afraid and silent. God will have to somehow pick up where they are falling short. So if it ends here, the hopeful word of the gospel might be that despite our failures, our fearfulness, our silence, somehow God still breaks into our world with grace, love, new potential. This is from Fred Craddock. Mark's accent, central focus, and climax is the cross. Mark, of course, believed in the resurrection, but he did not include any dramatic resurrection appearances that would transcend and, in a sense, reduce the centrality of the cross as the definition of messiahship and discipleship. For Mark, the resurrection served the cross. Easter did not eradicate but vindicated Good Friday, And if worshipers do not experience Jesus as dead, they can hardly experience him as resurrected. End of that quote. And then this, Even so, astonishment, trembling, fear, and silence do not seem inappropriate for Easter morning. They will find their tongues, they will witness, but early in the morning is no time to be glib and chatty about an empty tomb and a risen Lord." Okay, so I'm supposed to do the welcome on Easter morning. Don't be too chatty, Charlie. And then John 20, 1 to 18. So it's like, see how many differences there are between these two pictures. Mary goes while it's still dark. She sees the stone moved and runs to tell Peter and the beloved disciple they run and do this curious dance. The BD gets their first, looks, but doesn't go in. Peter gets their second, but goes in first. The BD goes in, sees, and believes. They each get to do something first. They both saw and even believed, but did not understand, because Scripture is important for understanding reality. We might even say Scripture interprets reality, and vice versa. Mary encounters two disciples, two angels, and Jesus. She's still in the dark and focused on the body. Dead bodies don't simply disappear. Jesus saying her name shatters her world. Anything like that ever happened to you? Jesus to Mary, do not hold on to me. Go and tell the disciples. And it's a different message from Mark. The ministry of the risen Christ is different from the ministry of the human Jesus. The ministry of the risen Christ is to go away and send the Holy Spirit. And then there's a line from a commentary on this, do not hold on to me, verse. Um, Mary and the disciples and the church are not to long for the way it was. Oof, how does that resonate with our present COVID situation? Anyway, Mary does go and tell. John has two resurrection stories, this one and then Thomas. Well, and then chapter 21 with Peter fishing and breakfast on the seashore, forerunner of countless lakeside Easter sunrise services, and Do You Love Me, Feed My Sheep. Some people think that was added later. But the seeing, believing, understanding in chapter 20 show that faith comes and is focused in different ways for different people. How has that worked out in your life? That's what I got for now. Still no recipe poem for a moonlight cupcake.